Hi everyone, I'm Jeanette Burgess. Um, I'm married to Paul and we attend the 10am service on Sundays. And I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Mate, you gonna punch through? Yeah. One of my pet hates is that terrible phrase, yeah, nah. You know, in a footy interview, uh, the host might say something like, you know, they seem to come out of the blocks quicker than you guys. Did you underestimate them? And the footy player says, yeah, nah, we was prepared for them. You know, that kind of, it, it's a, a quintessential Australian phrase, yeah, nah, Australian eloquence at its best. And it used to annoy me until this week, I kind of thought, actually, that captures part of Ecclesiastes. We'll come back to that. But let's just remind ourselves where we are. Ecclesiastes 1, we saw last week with Jamie, uh, and it's uh, the book, The Reflections of the Teacher, who attributes Solomon um, to his name. Perhaps it's Solomon, perhaps it's someone who was saying, I'm a disciple of Solomon, I'm a student of Solomon. Um, and then in the second verse, he gives us the summary. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Everything is, is breath. It's vapour. Uh, you, you just can't capture it. It just, as you go to grab it, it just eludes you. It's like the, the fish that got away. It's kind of there, but it's quite not. And, and that is the summary of the book. And then in something that's counterintuitive for us, in the third verse we actually get the question, what's the book about? And here's the question, what do people gain from all their labours at which they toil 
under the sun. And there's two important phrases in that sentence. What do people get from their labours, from their toil? The, the human endeavour is one of work, it's one of effort. And, and what the teacher is exploring is, do we produce anything? Does it matter? What's the point of all of our efforts? Is there meaning? Is there purpose? Does it add up to anything of any significance? And then there's a qualification there. It's toil under the sun. You see, the book of Ecclesiastes is not about what does God think or how is God active in the world. There's a little bit of that just at the end of the book. But by and large, it's an exploration of the human experience of life under the sun. If we're going to bracket God out and we just look at the things we can do and the things we can taste and touch and, and smell and experience, what is life like under the sun? Is it meaningful or is it not? And that's the fundamental question that we're exploring. And so the key question is, what under the sun is the point? What's the point to life? Does it have a purpose? Does it have a meaning? Does it have a direction? And then in chapter one, Jamie showed us last week that there's a key observation. Things come and things go, but they seem to stay the same. Nothing really changes. We don't really seem to get anywhere. There's no progress. There's no getting ahead. And so we read phrases like, uh, you know, the um, generations come and generations go, but the earth stays the same. Uh, the wind blows from this direction and then it blows from that direction and then it just goes back to blowing where it came from in the first place. Uh, there's this sense in which for all our sense of movement, actually nothing really happens. Things kind of just end up staying the same. And doesn't life feel a little bit like that at the moment? I've heard lots of people saying, wow, this pandemic, it's so unusual. I wonder if our kids are going to say, you know, did you get to live through coronavirus and what was that like? And, and yes, in some sense, life is quite different. But in other ways, if you look back far enough, pandemics in history have come and they've gone and they come back again and they go and they come. And there's this cycle. And, and in the grand scheme of things, you'll see on this chart that actually coronavirus is a pretty small pandemic that things like the Black Plague have had a far greater influence in human history and human suffering than has the coronavirus. So pandemics come and go. The bushfires, well, we've just had some record bushfires, haven't we? But it was not that long ago, 2009, where we had Black Saturday in Victoria and they were terrible bushfires. I spent uh, 15, 16 years of my life in Tasmania. And if you're a Tasmanian, you talk about the 67 bushfires. And we used to hike, Marianne and I, every uh, Tuesday on Mount Wellington. And there's all these nude trees. Um, they're burnt. And uh, they're there still from the 67 bushfires. And if you look back long ago in Sydney's history, there was a Black Friday in, I think, 39 bushfires come and go. Well, what about Black Lives Matter? Racism, slavery, it comes and to be honest, it never quite goes. 
Slavery is universal. It's been there throughout all of human history, as has racism and discrimination. And maybe if something comes and goes, it's the sense that we're uh, changing, that we're defeating, that we're overcoming slavery. Think about William Wilberforce in the 1800s, and, and that's a moment of celebration. But then have things really gotten better? Or what about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King? Did, did he make a difference? And the answer is kind of yes, but kind of no. It's, it's slavery still there. And, and that's kind of the point of chapter one, right? That things appear to change, but they don't. And, and so maybe it's all just kind of meaningless and we're getting nowhere. Well, that's the initial observation. Everything is meaningless. Nothing really changes. And then from chapters through 2 through to chapters 11, the teacher goes and explores some specific topics. And we're going to look at just one of those today. And today's topic is pleasure. Does pleasure give some sense of meaning? And so let's pick up the story in chapter 2. We read the reading, but I'm just going to highlight a few things for you. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. So there's an intentional test on the part of the teacher. And you'll notice down the bottom of the verse there that my mind was still guiding me with wisdom. So his testing of pleasure is not a kind of a, a reckless abandon. There seems to be no point to life. So what the heck, I'm just going to uh, give up and, and enjoy the moment, uh, taste and, and experience what feels good. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to systematically expose myself to pleasurable experiences with my mind tuned to discover is there really some meaning and purpose in chasing pleasure. That's what we're going to encounter in chapter 2. And what does he test? Well, he tests laughter. That's all the rage, isn't it? Comedy festivals seem to be getting bigger and bigger. Comedians can fill football stadiums like rock artists used to be able to. Um, and he also tests wine and embracing folly. You know that sense of the happy-go-lucky kind of feeling that you have after a few drinks, so I'm told. Uh, he, he tests that, and, and no, that doesn't quite deliver either. He wants to see what's good for people to do under the sun, under the heavens, during the few days of our lives. And there is the parameters of his search. He's not asking universal, eternal questions and where is God in the meaning of life. No, no, no. If we just consider human experience under the sun, the life that we live in the flesh, is it meaningful? Laughter doesn't provide meaning. Uh, wine doesn't provide meaning. And then uh, reading on, he builds houses and he plants vineyards. Those are uh, pleasurable experiences. I I've built a couple of houses and there's something very concrete there's something, uh, you, know, you, you can look at it and it's finished and you enjoy it and you go, oh, I achieved that. There's this sense of, of something real that you've made. And he says, no, I tried that and that didn't work for me. He bought male and female slaves. He owned herds and flocks, silver and gold. And so wealth and possessions and the status that comes with all of those. 
He tries all of that and it doesn't work. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. You see the extent to which he goes? Nothing is out of bounds. He places no restrictions on himself. He goes to the extremes and tests everything that people perceive to be pleasurable. And with his mind tuned into his question, he's asking, is this it? Is this where I find meaning and enjoyment and purpose and pleasure in life? And he becomes greater than anyone else in Jerusalem before him. You know, as I listen to the exploits of the teacher, I think to myself, he could very well be alive in the 21st century. So much of what he is exploring is what I see people exploring today. When I turn on the television, what do I see? I see shows like Grand Designs or um, The Block or House Rules. And, and the idea is that somehow if, if I renovate my bathroom or if I get a new kitchen or if I build my dream home, then I will be happy. Or I see other shows like The Bachelor or Married at First Sight. If I find the perfect partner, the, the universal other who completes me, then, then somehow I will be perfectly happy. Then I will find meaning and I will have gotten the point of life. Except so many of those shows just end up in disasters, don't they? Uh, or uh, as I open the brochures that turn up in my letterbox, uh, people are chasing the ultimate coffee. And you can buy a domestic coffee machine now in the thousands of dollars so that you don't need to go to the barista down the road. In the comfort of your own home, you can make the perfect coffee. And then when you have guests over, boy, you can be the ultimate host. That's what we're chasing. Or shows like um, the cooking shows, you know, and we want to have the ultimate gastronomic experience. Uh, my kitchen rules. We, we need to cook up a storm when our friends come over so that we can kind of be the, the hostess with the mostess, right? Those are the things that we chase in our culture. Oh, here's another one. Uh, I, I have a nephew. Uh, he's a tradie and he's about to buy a $140,000 200 series Land Cruiser. My goodness, what does he need a car like that for? And he's single. He's not even married or got kids to throw in the back of the four-wheel drive. I don't know why he needs that car, but as I watch the ads on television or see the utes driving up and down past my place, man, a, a ute is now a status symbol for tradies. You've got to have the latest Ford Raptor with big mags and bars and lights and all the accessories and... Or mums, soccer mums need the SUV and that's the status symbol for them as they pull up with their barista coffees and watch the kids play soccer. Uh, we're all chasing these things and it sounds like the sorts of things that Solomon was chasing, the teacher. And, and this is really a book for here and now, isn't it? So what's the conclusion of the matter? Does pleasure deliver? Does it give life a purpose? Does it give our our desires, a, a, a meaningful expression. Does life have a point? Well, before we look at the answers of the teacher, I just want to explore some answers also from under the sun. Some things you can work out for yourself without even having to go to biblical wisdom to work out if pleasure is good or not. 
if it delivers or if it doesn't. Here's a book from, I think, 2017. It's the self-help best-selling book of that year. It's called The Subtle Art of, well, I can't give you the full quote, but you can see the one I've put there on the screen, not giving a fig. Uh, and let me just give you a couple of quotes from that book. Pleasure is a false god. Not a Christian author. Research shows that people who focus their energy on superficial pleasures end up more anxious, more emotionally unstable, and more depressed. Pleasure is the most superficial form of life satisfaction and therefore the easiest to obtain and the easiest to lose. But pleasure, while necessary in life in certain doses, isn't by itself sufficient. Pleasure is not the cause of happiness, rather it's the effect. There you go, a secular author. In fact, he's actually a, a popular Buddhist in some ways. Uh, he's telling us that the research says pleasure does not deliver. In fact, if you chase pleasure, you're more likely to end up unhappy and depressed. Wow. Here's another quote from Manson. The desire for positive experience is itself a negative experience. How does that work? Well, because if you think to yourself, I will be happy if I get a new ute or a new phone or the ultimate coffee, what you're actually saying to yourself is, I'm not happy with the coffee I've got. I'm not happy with the phone I've got. I'm not happy with the ute I've got. I need a better one. And when I've got a better one, I'll be happy. And of course, we all know what happens, right? You get the better one. And, and five, 10 minutes later, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's kind of ordinary now. There's an even better one still. And that's the point. Chasing after the positive experience does not deliver. Paradoxically, the acceptance of one's negative experience is, excel, is itself a positive experience. It's just secular wisdom. But somehow admitting and recognizing that chasing after elusive dreams does not deliver, that actually is comforting. That's a stabilizing thought. And we don't need to go to scripture to discover those truths. Well, let's go to scripture anyway, because that's a great place to go. And this is what the teacher tells us. Uh, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And down the bottom there, what does he discover? Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Nothing was gained. He didn't get ahead. He didn't discover the meaning, the purpose, the point of life. And so in answer to the key question, what under sun is the point? The answer is it's not pleasure. Pleasure is ultimately meaningless. But actually, I just want to nuance that a little bit. Let's just go back to the conclusion there of the teacher. And I want you to notice what he says in the first part. I deny myself nothing. I refuse my heart no pleasure. There actually is some pleasure in the things that he is accessing, that he's not denying himself. My heart took delight in all my labor. There is some initial delight in hard work 
and the productivity that comes from putting your shoulder to the wheel or putting your hand to the plow or to the trowel or whatever it is you're doing. And this was the reward for all my toil. There is some degree of reward. And so we need to just nuance the teacher's conclusions a little bit and say something more like this. Pleasure is ultimately meaningless, but there is some short-term thrill. There's some short-term buzz that comes out of chasing pleasure. There's a kind of a, yeah, nah. Yeah, there's something there. I can feel something. There's something in this moment. It's good. I'm liking it. Nah, there's no gain. It's not anything of any substance. It doesn't deliver. It doesn't last in the long run. So yeah, nah is a great summary of pleasure. Again, let me give you some quotes from Manson because he gets this as well. And he says this, the person you marry is the person you fight with. The house you buy is the house you repair. The dream job you take is the job you stress over. Everything comes with an inherent sacrifice. Everything is a yeah, nah. And that's how life goes when you're chasing pleasure. If I could give you an image, I think chasing pleasure is a little bit like having a mosquito bite. And something's happened and you feel this urge to scratch it. And you do. And you scratch. And it feels good for a moment. And that's kind of the yeah. And then you scratch and it's gone and you go fantastic and then you forget about it for five or ten seconds and then it gets worse. And you go, nah. Actually, that was unhelpful. That was counterproductive. And, and what do you want to do? You want to scratch some more. And if you do scratch some more, it's, it's another yeah experience followed by an even bigger nah. And that's the danger of chasing pleasure. That you find yourself wanting the bigger and the bigger and the bigger or the newer or the next model or, and you're never quite satisfied and your tastes and your thirst gets insatiable and more impossible to quench and you find yourself deeper in trouble, deeper in debt, uh, more snowed under or whatever it happens to be. It just doesn't work. That's the experience of chasing pleasure. Well, that's where the teacher lands at the end of chapter two. And I'm guessing you might be saying to yourself, well, Dave, that's a pretty depressing message. Have you got something positive for us? And I kind of want to say to you, well, yeah, nah. Here's kind of the yeah. These are strange times, right? And I think uh, what the coronavirus and isolation has done is it's meant that we've all kind of hopped off the hamster wheel. Uh, you know, the wheel of, I got to go to work, I've got to um, save money, I got to buy this, I got to update that, I've got to, I got to chase a promotion, I've got to uh, uh, invest in this, and I got to watch my shares, and whatever, whatever hamster wheel life was on, and it was kind of crazy before coronavirus, it's all slowed down, and we've all stood back a little bit and gone, man, what were we chasing? Life is a little bit more 
balanced. It's a little bit more uh, sane now that I'm kind of off that hamster wheel. You know, life is not just about um, toys and it's not just about work and it's not just about the next holiday, but actually there's something deep and meaningful about connecting with myself and with my family in more profound ways. And, and you know what? Things are about to speed up again. And what the teacher would want to say to you and to me is, before you get back on that hamster wheel, before you start driving back into the city, before you start working 24-7, before you start chasing that mortgage or that uh, new car or that dream job or that promotion or uh, whatever it is that you're chasing, before you get back on that hamster wheel, just stop and ask yourself, really, is it going to deliver? Or before you put your kids back on a hamster wheel, because I think we do that too, don't we? Before you drive your kids to soccer lessons and then music lessons and then get them a tutor so that they can get a good HSC mark, so that they can get into a good university course, so they can get a high paying job, so they can live life on a bigger and a faster hamster wheel than you and you can feel like you got your kids ahead. Before you do that, stop and ask yourself, is that going to deliver? Because the answer is, yeah, no, actually it's not going to deliver. Is that really what you want to do? That's the beauty of, of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Before you click on that website, before you take a second look at that person, before you uh, play the pokies, before you uh, have a third or a fourth beer, uh, whatever it is you're chasing for short-term pleasure, ask yourself, is it going to deliver? And the answer is, yeah, no, it's not. It's just not going to deliver. Don't go there. That is the wisdom of the teacher and that's profoundly helpful for us today that's the first thing and here's the second and i want to take us to jesus with his disciples in john 6. he's just fed five thousand people and we read these words from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him so jesus has fed the five thousand and he's saying to the people, hey, you guys uh, have had a feed and that's great and you're happy. You've chased the pleasure of a full stomach, but don't live just for that. That's a yeah, nah kind of a thing to live for. He says, actually feed on me and my words and their eternal words and you will never go hungry. And the people say, no, that's too hard. We're not going there. And most of the disciples leave. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answers, what is the answer? I tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, of course we don't want to leave you, Jesus. When we feed on your words, we feel full, we feel nourished, we feel happy, we feel joyful, life is just awesome. He doesn't say that. The Christian life isn't always like that. What he does say, though, is profound. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Peter knows that getting on the hamster wheel and chasing pleasure does not deliver. And even if the Christian life is a hard slog, and it's difficult to understand and digest Jesus' words. 
Even at those moments, you want to say to yourself, like Peter says to Jesus, where else can I go? Nothing else can deliver. The chasing of pleasure is meaningless. Follow Jesus. Let me pray for us. We thank you for the words of the teacher. And as citizens who live in a world that's chasing pleasure, we want to thank you that uh, the teacher has for us kind of drawn back the curtains. He has shown the emperor as having no clothes. Pleasure does not deliver. And we just want to step out in faith and say, Jesus, we know pleasure doesn't deliver. We've got nowhere else but to go, even when times are tough. We want to follow you. And as life ramps up again, we want to not mindlessly step back on the hamster wheel, but we want to be intentional about the choices we make, about the patterns, about the behaviours, about the rhythms that we put into life so that we might have the balance correct and that we might honour you and that we might live for more significant things than just for the moment and for pleasure. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.